We're going to read Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they'll be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous saviour. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will be, live in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me, all my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine, because of the Lord and his holy words. The land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched, and the pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore, their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness, and they, there they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their weakness. They are like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says concerning the prophets. I will make them eat bitter food and drink poisoned water, because from the prophets of Jerusalem ungodliness has spread throughout the land. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word, who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath and whirlwinds swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away, who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets 
who prophesy the delusions of their own minds. They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare, the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. When these people, or a prophet, or a priest, ask you, what is the message from the Lord? Say to them, what message? I will forsake you, declares the Lord. If a prophet, or a priest, or anyone else claims, this is a message from the Lord, I will punish them and their household. This is what each of you keeps saying to your friends and other Israelites. What is the Lord's answer? Or what has the Lord spoken? But you must not mention a message from the Lord again, because each one's word becomes their own message. So you distort the words of the living God, the Lord Almighty, our God. This is what you keep saying to a prophet. What is the Lord's answer to you? Or what has the Lord spoken? Although you claim this is a message from the Lord, this is what the Lord says. You use the words, this is a message from the Lord, even though I told you that you must not claim this is a message from the Lord. Therefore, I will surely forget you and cast you out of my presence along with the city I gave to you and your ancestors. I will bring on you everlasting disgrace, everlasting shame that will not be forgotten. Well, when I was in high school, everybody wanted a pair of Nike Air Jordans Shout out to Dan and Mitch Cummings, our resident Jordan experts in church, or a pair of Reebok pumps. And I went to a public school, so it wasn't every day that somebody kind of rocked up to PE with a, with a brand new pair of sneakers. They were a premium item. And the big question that faced everyone who turned up at school with a brand new pair of, of, of Reebok pumps or Nike Air Jordans that their mum and dad or their auntie or uncle had brought, brought home from an overseas trip was, are these fake or are they real? And everyone had an opinion on how you could tell whether or not they were fake. Were the, what were the markings on the sole? Could you collapse the heel? What was the, was the logo legit? What were the tags like on the inside of the shoe? And these were very big questions for a 15 year old who carried a basketball around school all day, every day. Were they fake or were they real? And the question today we face as adults is slightly different, isn't it? Is it fake news or is it real news? And how do you work that out? Which media uh, company is providing us with the truth? And people have all kinds of opinions, again, on how it is that we work out what is fake and what is real. The people of Jeremiah, sorry, the people of Israel were faced with a similar conundrum. Were the prophets fake or real? Is what they said fake or real? <clears throat> and you can be tempted to think that this was only a problem before Jesus, right? In Israel, 
you know, before we had the Bible written in our, in our language, in our own homes, on our phones, on our devices. But the problem of false teaching is still just as prevalent today. And all the hallmarks of false prophecy that we see here in Jeremiah's day are present today in false teaching. But before we jump into that, let's just recap where we've been and where it is that we're headed. Jeremiah is preaching a message into a context where God's people, and particularly Judah and Jerusalem, so the southern kingdom, have actually strayed from God. And, and God has declared that the nation of Babylon will be his agent of judgment. And so they'll actually come around from the north, having deceded Assyria, who had previously taken over the northern kingdom, Israel. And the Babylonians, they're going to continue south to take the southern kingdom, Judah, and the city of Jerusalem. And so all of that takes place between 597 and 587 BC, and Babylon takes the nation into captivity, leaving the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem a shell of what it was. And during this time, one of the overarching complaints that Jeremiah has had with Judah and Jerusalem is not just with the people of God, but particularly with the leaders of God's people. And so last week, we looked at God's complaint against the shepherds of Israel. So this is what it says in, in chapter 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. And God's answer to this problem is he's going to provide a new king, a new shepherd for the people of God. But this week, his complaint is against the prophets. Again, that's part of the leadership of Judah and Jerusalem. And they kind of sat alongside these corrupt kings. So last week we saw political leadership gone bad. And this week we see how the religious leaders of that time actually enabled corruption and enabled the kings to lead a whole nation away from God and away from his law. And so God has this whole series of complaints against these prophets. And what we can glean from this is a picture of what the false prophets of that time looked like. The first thing we see here about the false prophets is their moral failure. Have a look in chapter 23, verse 11. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Now, this is not a new complaint, but what we have here is religious, use, religious leaders using their power for wrong ends and corrupting even the place where God was thought to be most present. They're corrupting the temple of the Lord. And this is a common thread in false prophecy and in false teaching in the New Testament. Moral failure accompanies false teaching. And it's kind of hard to tell which one comes first. Is the false teaching an accommodation to enable them to feel okay about the sin that they're living out? Or were they seduced by the false teaching that then leads to loose living? It's kind of hard to tell which comes first, the chicken or the egg. But what's clear is that alongside false teaching goes a loose lifestyle. Whether it's a, a grasp for power and for wealth, maybe it's a way of assaging their guilt when they've committed 
sexual immorality or, or something like that. I remember a long time ago, I asked somebody about a man who had left the faith. Why had he given up on Jesus? And this person said, they said it was to do with the reliability of the Bible, but I suspect there's more to it. And sure enough, about 12 months later, it was revealed that this man had been having an affair for a number of years. But it's not always that way, right? It doesn't always play out like that every time, but there is a reason that in the New Testament that Paul urges Timothy to watch not only his doctrine, but his life closely. Why? Because life and doctrine, they're so intertwined. Loose living and loose theology, they sit side by side one another. And so Paul warns Timothy. He's, he, he warns Timothy about such people. Have a look in chapter 2, chapter 3 of uh, 2 Timothy. He says, but mark this, there will be time, terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. <clears throat> so that's the first mark of the false prophets. The second thing we see is again in verse 11, and it's a very simple point, but it's worth pointing out. These false prophets are not out there, but they're in the temple. Have a look there. It says, both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness. See, the, these false prophets, they, they don't have a special place where they congregate so that we know that they're the false prophet ones. They teach from the same pulpit as the true prophets. They're, they're found in God's temple right here in the Old Testament. And again, Jesus warns us of the same thing. Matthew chapter 7, it says, Watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. See, the false prophets are not out there. They're in the church. They don't have a special false teaching place to go to where you can go and you can know that they are false teachers and that's what you're looking That's what you're listening to. They look like sheep. Which means false teaching lurks within our churches. It's in our Christian schools. It's on our Christian radio stations. It's in our Christian bookstores. You know, when you go to a Christian bookstore, there's not a separate section in the bookstore called false teaching. But the false teachers are mixed in with all the other books on Christian living and Christian theology. And they don't have a special segment on the Christian radio station called the false teaching hour. It's just all kind of mixed in with the good. And so, friends, we need to be on our guard. Don't naively think that if a ministry or a church is going well, that the teaching is sound. Don't naively think that the book that you're reading is not beyond error. Or the person that you're listening to is sound because you like them. The false prophets were in the temple of God. The third thing we see is not only do they do evil, but they actually enable evil. Have a look there in verse 14. 
Among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. <clears throat> they commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. I've been uh, <clears throat> watching a show on Apple TV at the moment called Morning Wars. It's one of those shows where I'm, I'm not sure whether I, I like it or not. I'm kind of committed to it at the moment. And so, you know, I don't even think I'd actually recommend this TV show. But the broad storyline is, is about a guy called Mitch Kessler. He's the anchor of the morning show and he gets exposed for sexual misconduct. And in the first season, what they're exploring is the question of culture. Was there a culture within the workplace that enabled this sexual misconduct to go unchecked? The question was, how, how had he been able to get away with this for so long? Had it come down from the top? Was this known and allowed? Was it enabled? And that is exactly what Jeremiah accuses the false prophets of doing. What you have is these corrupt kings and they're leading the people of God astray. They're not living the way that God wants them to live. They're failing themselves to love the Lord their God with all their heart and mind and strength. And, and there's injustices like we saw last week taking place left, right and centre and they turn a blind eye to it. But not only that, they actually enable it. They fail to seek justice and pursue righteousness in the kingdom of God. And then you have these prophets who come along and all they do is preach a message that enables this wickedness to go on. And so instead of calling out sin and calling people to repent, what are they doing? Well, they just keep preaching and prophesying in a way that just allows this evil to go unchecked. When those whose job it is to warn people and call them to repentance, when they fail to do so, it confirms people in their wrongdoing and their non-repentance. And they put people in the greatest danger of all. This is what the world wants us to do. The world wants us to be silent on what the Bible says on a number of different issues, particularly with regard to the issues of morality, what's God's view of sex and sexuality, what's God's view on marriage and euthanasia and abortion, and we're going to be tackling some of these issues actually in our, in our next series called Being Human. So stay tuned for that. And, and the great temptation for us is to bend to our secular demands and preach a message of permissiveness and enable people to live how they want to live, but not the way that God has designed us to live. And friends, there's nothing loving about that message. The narrative that Christianity is simply God wanting to make our lives miserable is false. It's a false narrative. Living God's way, the designer's way, whilst at, at times it is actually hard, it is the very best thing we can do with our lives. And to bend and enable a culture where we live as we please, it just simply is fast-tracking people to hell. Which leads us to the fourth thing about these false prophets. And that is, false prophets will preach a message of peace and safety. Have a look in verse 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the false prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds and not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. 
And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. See, in Jeremiah's day, the false prophets were saying, God will keep us safe from Babylon. They would say things like, we have the temple of the Lord. God is on our side. Don't listen to Jeremiah and his horrible news of judgment and destruction. Will God really allow us to be overthrown by the nation of Babylon? And you can imagine it, right? Slippery language that never speaks truth, always casts dispersions on the truth because they want to keep saying peace and safety. And nothing has changed in what the false teachers declare today. What is the thing that people will begin to deny first? Well, historically, history has shown that it's the cross of Christ. Because what the cross of Christ tells us about humanity is not a message of peace and safety. Because it reminds us that we are sinners. The necessity of the cross is not a popular thing to talk about because it declares us to be in the wrong with God. It tells us that we need a saviour because we can't save ourselves. And people don't like that news. But it's true, right? We know that God's assessment of humanity is true. I mean, you only have to look at the last two years to realise the plight of humanity. How many riots have we had in those two years? Racial inequality that we've been alerted to again and again, both here in Australia and in the USA. Relationships strained and broken because of a vaccine. And so families ripped apart because of differing opinions on these sorts of issues. We don't like to look in the mirror as a society. We actually prefer to blame others. And we do whatever we can to hear the news, peace and safety. It is all too easy, friends, to diminish the extent of sin in our world and downplay the message of the cross. And these false teachers, they will be convincing. They'll use slippery language and they will say things that we mostly believe. And they'll ask lots of questions. And, but never really kind of pin their colours on to the wall until you have well and truly follow, swallowed a gospel of universalism. God will save everyone. Or pluralism. All religions are different to the same God. It's a different way to the same God. Or a prosperity gospel, where Jesus becomes our path to being healthy, wealthy and wise. The false teachers of today will declare the same thing that they declared in Jeremiah, peace and safety. And I get the pull. Over the years, I've preached at our uh, life series. And on night three of the life series, we talk about the nature of sin and the judgment that is to come. And every time that I come to that, it is very sobering. Every time I do it, I have to kind of prepare myself again spiritually for it. I have to pray to God that God would remind me all over again the truth of this terrible news of sin and judgment. And the thing that keeps getting me over the line is the death of Jesus, friends. I cannot make sense of the cross unless Jesus is doing something there that could not be done in any other way. For some reason, God chose to send his one and only son to die the death that you and I deserve because 
our eternal peace and safety is on the line. The necessity of the cross. We need to keep holding tight to that. The fifth thing we see here with these false prophets is that they seem impressive. Have a look in uh, verse 25. I've heard what the prophets who say, sorry, I've heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think that the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. How do you argue with somebody who said, says, I've had a dream? I've had a dream. Or, or when somebody says, God spoke me, spoke to me. It's difficult, isn't it? But I think what we need to see here is that dreams and visions don't necessarily mean that people are speaking God's word. And, and look, people may be very well intentioned. They, they claim to have had a dream or, or some kind of word from God, and maybe they are actually very sincere in what they're saying. But sincerity doesn't equal truth. It could be that they're flat out lying, just making stuff up. Or perhaps they've managed to somehow convince themselves that what they're saying is true. Maybe that's what's happened. Or it could be that they're caught up in this cycle of telling one another their dreams and their special words from God that they don't even realize that what they're doing is they're borrowing from one another and regurgitating what they've heard already from one another. And that seems to be the case here in Jeremiah. Can I urge you not to be fooled by the claim, God spoke to me. I had a dream from God. Because even the false prophets claim these things. But in the middle of all this, we see not only the marks of the false prophets, but we see this warning for them too. And the warnings kind of increase in intensity throughout this chapter. The first thing God says is, I did not send them. Have a look there in verse 21. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But, they had stood, but if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. So it's his first accusation. I did not send them. The second thing he says here is, I can see them. Have a look there in verse 23. Am I only a God nearby, declares, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do, do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So there's a whole bunch of rhetorical questions here and they're all mounting up to say to the false prophets, I can see you. You cannot hide from me. See, they had this false sense of security in the temple and in their religion and in their sacrifices and, and, and they thought that it would never catch up with them. They do whatever they want to do. They lived however they wanted to live and they thought God would never see them. So in verse 9 of chapter 7, he says, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury and burn incest to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come back and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. This is what they were doing. And God is saying, I can see you. But the most terrifying thing he says about the prophets is that he is against them. 
Have a look there in verse 30. Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another and, and steal from one another's words, supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare, the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. I am against the prophets. I am against the prophets. I am against those who prophesy. And so while they declare peace and safety, God is saying, I did not send you. I can see you. And I am against you. And I want to say that whilst that's terrifying, particularly as someone who's charged with teaching the word of God, we actually want God to be like this, right? We want God to pursue justice. Because false teaching is more than just being a little bit misguided. But what have we seen? It creates this environment for sin to grow. Our shed from time to time uh, gets flooded with water in a big deluge. And so all throughout winter, because there's no kind of proper drainage or anything like that around it, uh, you can imagine that after you know, it gets flooded, what what, what happens inside that shed is, is mould begins to grow. It becomes this perfect environment for mould for to grow. And so we have to clear it out from time to time and give it a good airing and, 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 and make sure that all the stuff that's, that's in there doesn't stay mouldy. False teaching does the same thing for sin and medioc mediocrity. It enables sin. It pro provides this beautiful environment in which sin can grow and take over people's lives. And sometimes in very middle-class ways. It can sometimes be the environment where you can hide careerism or your lust for wealth or your desire to be known, or your desire to be important. It might be promoting a Christianity where Jesus is not central to people's lives, where he's more ornamental than central. And so even if we're not able to see blatant heresy, we do need to be careful when the message is peace and safety. When we never leave church, having our view of God challenged and blown up, there's something wrong with it. Take, for example, a verse from Jeremiah that is regular, regularly kind of thrown around in Christian conversation. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, <coughs> For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So you know the verse and you know that it's prescribed to people as a verse to encourage them that God has big things in store for their life. Even if it doesn't feel like that at the moment, he wants to prosper you and he wants to give you a great life. But that is not what this verse is about. You only have to read the verse before it to realize that. You only have to read it in the context of Jeremiah to realize that. This is what it says in verse 10, the verse before it. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, so 70 years of captivity, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's all about the return from exile. God is saying to the exiles, after 70 years of captivity, 
I will take you back to the promised land. But what we often see with this verse is people take this verse, verses like it in 29, 11, and apply them in a way that is all about their own personal safety and happiness and prosperity. And you might think, well, what harm is there in that? Well, the harm is saying to someone or quoting this verse to somebody whose situation never gets better because that is not God's promise for them. How does that make them feel when they never prosper? What does that do to their faith? It crushes them. It's destructive. But have a look what the Word of God is actually like. Verse 28. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? God's word is grain. It nourishes the soul. It's, it's not Maccas, right? Which tastes good, but it's actually evil for your gut. I hope that's not news to you. But this, God's word nourishes you. It grows you. It makes you a mature disciple of Jesus. But God's word is also like a fire and like a hammer. It's an agent of judgment. But it's not always God's full and final judgment. It can be a purifying judgment as we're disciplined by the word of God. As the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and urges us to repent. And as we pour over the scriptures and realize afresh the wonders of the gospel, the judgment of Jesus, the judgment that Jesus took in our place, I should say, so that we can be forgiven. Now, I've been doing Christianity Explored uh, with a few people over the last few weeks, and it's been wonderful to keep going back to Jesus and keep reminding myself and them as we dig into Mark's gospel that Jesus didn't come just to be a nice guy. But he comes to rescue us from hell. And the great assurance of salvation that we gain from that is, is just magnificent. It's not just a message of peace and safety. It's a message of impending judgment. But at the same time, God's unwavering commitment to save us from sin. God's word is like fire. Like a hammer that smashes a rock to pieces. So what should we do with all this? Well, be careful how you listen. Do you listen passively or actively? Do you listen with your Bible open? Do you check what people are saying from the front? Is it true? Or are we giving one another a, a special little dose of peace and safety? And that means we'll need to be careful not only of how we listen, but who we listen to. I recently started following some American pastor on Instagram and, and he would put up these little 10-minute uh, 10 excerpts from his sermon on the Sunday. And I never actually listened to all 10 minutes of one of those sermons. I would usually just kind of tune out after about 20 seconds and flick to the next thing. But, but one day I actually was so committed that I sat down and listened to 10 minutes of this sermon. Right? That's full commitment because you can't double speed on uh, Instagram like you can on YouTube. So that was full commitment. Sat there and listened to the whole 10 minutes. And as I listened, I realized that this guy was a flat out heretic. He completely redefined sin. 
He told everyone what the Greek word for sin was, which was a very impressive thing to do. He knew what the Greek word for sin was. And then he claimed that that word for sin meant a whole host of things that it wasn't even close to the meaning of that word. Now, why, why was he doing that? Well, I don't really know. But I do know that in those 10 minutes, he was very keen to downplay the idea that we needed to repent of our sin and our wrongdoing before God. And up until then, I just thought he was kind of engaging and a little bit thought-provoking and I assumed he was sound. Be careful who you listen to. There is so much stuff out there that you could be listening to and you need to be the one who takes responsibility for your own knowledge of the truth. The other thing I think this passage urges us to do is be careful how you teach. Now, how do you do that? Well, there's lots, lots that you could say here, right? Um, there's lots and lots of things you could say here. But the mark of the true prophet here in Jeremiah is that they listen to God first. Ha- have a look back in verse 22. This is what he says. But if they, that's the false prophets, had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. So in order to teach the word of God truthfully and faithfully, you actually need to submit to God first. You need to submit to God and his counsel. You need to sit under his word and, uh, and apply that to your own life. And look, this isn't complicated. And I want to say that teaching the word of God is only for the super spiritual or anything like that. But teaching does mean you actually need to work out really carefully what the Bible's saying and then apply that truth to yourself and then to others. And that's hard work. It means that week in, week out, as a teacher of God's word, whether that be as a growth group leader or a kids' church leader, an evangelist, whatever it might be, you have, you have to actually look into the word of God and then allow the word of God to look into your soul and keep repenting. Keep allowing the word of God to be like a hammer that destroys the idols of your life. So can I pray? Can I say, pray for your leaders? Pray for your growth group leaders. Pray for your kids, kids' church leaders. It'd be wonderful to be praying for them. Pray for your youth leaders. Pray for your kids' youth leaders. Pray for the staff. And pray, pray for all these people who are involved in teaching in some way, shape or form. Pray that they would handle the word of God correctly. And pray for yourselves. Pray that you might listen well. And pray for our church, that we would be a church that discerns truth and teaches the truth. Why don't I pray these things now? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is like fire, like a hammer that breaks rock into pieces, like grain that nourishes us. Help us, Heavenly Father, not to be like the false prophets who just preach peace and safety. But help us to just keep preaching the cross of Christ, knowing that it is only through his death and resurrection that peace and safety can be found. We thank you for these wonderful truths. We pray that you would help us to be able to discern truth and teach the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.